0: All right. Awesome. <laughs> uh, after many technical difficulties, welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. i Kyle yeah. Someone who tuned in uh, earlier, think of it as, like, you're going to a Guns N' Roses show and there's a long delay because they kept fighting in the back, that's, that's like, what these technical difficulties felt like, just a visceral argument between Slash and Axel. So this way, the way the show works is, uh, I'll be improvising live, uh, horror stories, I'll pull a title from a hat, I'll read the title and then launch into the story, have a f- live audience here, hello, yeah. yeah, now I'm gonna read the first story, and this first story is called, My Favorite Molar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm a doctor, it's a real pain in my mouth, just mouth pain, just deep in, like, right, right here, in the back of my cheek, near my jawline, it's called a cavity, son, that's what happens when you eat candy all the time, and snacks, and pretzels, and cheese balls, and all that stuff, and whatnot, nothing wrong with those types of snacks in moderation. straight to the dentist. It'll be a pain, painful procedure to get those fillings. It doesn't help that you have gingivitis either. Daniel readjusted himself in the seat. Oh, Doc, it's just... I don't know, every time I go to the dentist, just the anxiety of it just makes the procedure feel more painful whenever you get in there and do your thing, you know? It's like uh, Junji Ito when he was a dental assistant, you know? Just having someone like that in my mouth is just it's horrifying. The doctor says, yeah, a lot of people have anxieties over going to the dentist and whatnot. It's pretty natural. Though a lot of people prefer it over the regular doctor's office, pediatricians and so forth. And Daniel says, yeah, but Doc, it's just... It's really anxiety-inducing, you know? At least a little bit. Nox says well I don't usually do this for patients for such a minor procedure such as cavities, but I Could uh, give you the gas and it won't knock you out, but it'll make you a little bit dozy So I'll give it to you and it'll Numb you out a little bit. It's not like novocaine, but You'll relax a bit. Maybe you'll feel less pain Going through it, maybe you have a better view of dentists. It doesn't take that long. It's over before Daniel knows it. There's an old episode of ER on the TV. He focused on that during the procedure. He never watched ER. He's not that '90s. But he was like, "Oh, this is a good episode. I think it's a John Stamos episode or whatever." I thought so. I didn't see it. But the, this episode Daniel saw John Stamos was on. It could have been a guest star if it wasn't a cast member. Allegedly, this storyteller's perspective is that he was on in the beginning for a bit and maybe in the last episode, season or two we kind of came like, ah, oh, show's ending. I'll come back. Why not? I don't know how he divided with his full house time, but that's not important. That was a conversation Daniel overheard between the dental assistants about ER. You know. Another thing to focus on while he was going through his procedure. So the procedure happened. It was over. It's like, oh, I felt like nothing at all, Daniel said. The doctor was like, yeah, you know, getting a feeling for a cavity isn't that big of a deal, you know? Not for most people, unless they take good care of their teeth, or at least decent care. I mean, you haven't been the dentist in, like, five years, you know? I can see why I was so... Not everyone has clean teeth. Not everyone can afford it in this country. So if my teeth are gonna be clean, then buy gum, I'm gonna celebrate it. He goes for a walk through the town that he grew up in. He passed by his old high school, which was like a 10 minute walk from the dentist's office. He's just like, yeah, I remember going there. Shit walking, and uh, he extends the walk a little bit. Once he reaches his neighborhood, he's going for a walk uh, a little bit longer, longer than usual, through some old houses, So his some some old haunts, goes to the old ice cream shop. He doesn't get any ice cream, because uh, the doctor said not to eat anything for, like, the next two hours or whatever. Daniel reluctantly agreed, though he didn't really agree with that philosophy about... You know, but that's what led him to the office in the first place. Anyway. So he goes for a stroll, enjoying himself. And across the street, he sees a, by an old apartment building, that's derelict, condemned, no longer occupied, at the entrance of the said, uh... apartment building (laughs) is a giant molar tooth. It was far away across the street, but it was about chest high. Right about here. And Daniel stares at the molar. And the molar stares back. He has little arms, little legs, like a cartoon character. The nature of the tooth is very uh, corroded and vicious. Very a lot of yellowing. It's kind of like if you lose a tooth when you're a kid and you decide to save it the way it yellows. And he was just like, Well, I'm gonna go home. I don't know what this gas this doctor gave me, but I don't like that side effect. So he goes home, spends his day, waits several hours to eat. Has a really good meal, makes himself a steak, really gets really excited and chewing it with his new clean teeth and his new filling, really just like, ah oh, yeah, this is how you're meant to eat steak, just gnawing at it and all that. Granted, he did use a fork and knife, but he wanted to celebrate, you know, eating food that's hard to eat with your teeth. Maybe food that people with sensitive teeth couldn't eat as often as they'd like to. That's the kind of food he wanted to eat that night. And by gum, that's the food he wanted to eat. And he did. So we ate the food and uh, went to sleep that night. It was just like dreaming about random shit. You know, some rainbows. Uh, you know, it old high school again because I saw it, and he, uh, it was in his head, it was just like, he was like he was walking through class, you know, but he was like him from, it was, his, it was his adult self, but he was walking through the halls of high school, and he was just like, oh, I'm gonna be so late to class, but he had no idea what his schedule was, because it was non-existent, which is how those dreams go. They're nightmares, really, low-key nightmares. He's just like, I'm gonna be so late, I didn't even study for the test, but there was no test. You know, because it was a dream. You know, you can't really prepare for something that just suddenly just starts happening instantaneously. Well, this st- storyteller know about that. So, in the class, he's taking a test, uh, um, and you know it's a dream, so it's a lot of sentences that doesn't make sense and he's just like kind of doing his abba method for multiple choice questions. And then like in the hall, he hears just like a thumping. Over and over again. On the floors of the school. He's just like, what is that loud, dense clickings? Heading towards him. Unrelenting, and not stopping, or slowing down. Daniel backs away and starts running. The tooth is just... Following him. Over and over, and it's just... He knows it's a dream, but he thinks... This is just a ridiculous dream, you know? Usually there's some sort of, like, ghoul or monster I'm being followed by. But just like a big giant tooth that's half the size of my body. I mean, that's a bit ridiculous, and yet I'm terrified. And he keeps running, you know, and relenting. And right when the tooth gets closer and closer, Daniel suddenly wakes up, and he jumps up. Right, you know, it's a very visceral nightmare for him. But his mouth feels feels sore again. He doesn't understand why. Rubs his jaw and the same portion of his mouth that his dentist operated on. Operation, you know, the filling. He feels a bunch of blood on his lips. Rubs his fingers on it. Looks at them. Yeah, that's blood. Goes to the bathroom. And then he looks in the mirror and he sees blood all over his chin and his cheek and on his fingers where he rubbed his lips and he's just like what is what is going on here he, he expect inspects his mouth a little bit more and he looks inside his mouth and his molar has gone he's just like no that's weird a perfectly fine molar, got a filling in it. I didn't treat it very well, you know, when I was eating all that junk food and it got a cavity and I neglected that cavity longer than I should have. But nonetheless, I, I got treatment of it, even though it, was, even though it was in a lot of pain at the time, you know, and the root and all that. And I got it treated, I got, I got the filling. I don't know why it's missing now. Ponders for a bit, contemplating his belief in the tooth fairy. He's just like, could it be the tooth fairy? No, that'd be weird. If there's a real tooth fairy that just yanked teeth out of your mouth, that'd be terrifying. Unless they collaborated, that'd be even spookier. He brushed off these nonsensical thoughts of just like why his t- tooth was missing. But he thought, well, my tooth is missing. Maybe it's somewhere in the bed. You know, it's unlikely that I yanked it in my sleep, but who knows? He was feeling more panicky now, trying to rationalize his missing tooth. Which, how could you, when it's just bleeding and missing from your mouth in the middle of the night? So he goes rummaging through his bed sheets, and Goat looks underneath his pillow, and then he sees a. Bloody dollar bill with writing on it that says, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and he's just like, well, I didn't do that in my sleep. He's panicked and he didn't know he doesn't know what else to do. So he whips out his cell phone, makes a call to the dentist's office. It's closed. But he has the personal number to his dentist that he went to that did the filling. He makes the phone call. The dentist answers on the other line. And he says, Yeah, what is it? And Daniel says, Doc, Doc, my molar's gone. And the dentist says, What? And, the do- and Daniel says, Yeah, yeah, my molar is gone. You uh, know, I just found a bloody note. Blood all over my mouth. And the doctor says, Oh my god. And he says, "Like, wait a minute. I have to check something." The doctor hangs up the phone. The da- Daniel waits on his bed, nervous, with his phone just buttoned next to him, checking it every two minutes, waiting for that phone call. And then he hears a vase drop in his living room downstairs. Shit! What could that be? The phone rings again. It's the dentist. Daniel, you're still there. You're still alive. And Daniel's just like, shit. Yeah. What's going on? And the doctor says, I've given you a very, very exper- experimental gas. It screws with the mind, Daniel. It makes your nightmares come to life. And Daniel's just like, what? What do you mean? It's just like, well. Whatever sort of pain you've been feeling, that pain will manifest itself into a new nightmare and will come for you. What kind of pain has you been feeling, Daniel? And Daniel's just like, well, the only pain I've been feeling is just like, you know, my tooth for several weeks. And the doctor's like, oh my God, Daniel, the tooth is seeking revenge. And Daniel's just like, that's stupid, Doc. I mean, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Why would the tooth seek revenge after me? And the dentist says, just like, Listen, Daniel, you've mistreated that tooth for weeks. I'm a dentist. I know how people treat their teeth. Even if someone smiles at me, I know how they live. I know how they treat their teeth. I know how they treat the nature of decay. And Daniel, you've been an asshole to that molar. Eating all that sugar, all that candy without brushing your teeth for like multiple days? You got gingivitis, Daniel, and you did nothing! And Daniel's just like, Well, Doc, I'm sorry. And then the dentist says, I'm not the one you should be apologi- apologizing to. Then Daniel heard the loud thumping coming up the stairs. And Daniel's just like no. He rushes into the bathroom and he starts rap- ravishingly brushing his teeth. Just like look, I'm treating my teeth while I'm brushing my teeth before bed, honest. But he knew that the molar knew better. Just because you wake up sporadically and brush your teeth, that's not the same thing as brushing your teeth before bed. Then he hears the thumping in his bedroom, and he sees the tooth. It's not cartoonish like that hallucination. It's alive, it's throbbing, vivid, yellowing, decaying. Teeth usually don't throb, but only if they're living nightmares, they do. And then you just slowly put down the toothbrush and he knew that his time has come
1: Intense,
0: yeah. I mean, the, nice mo- the moral of that story is just you gotta pay, you gotta take good care of your teeth, you know?
1: Brush your teeth consistently, not not when you're getting a nightmare, yeah,
0: exactly. Like, just because your teeth starts hurting, doesn't mean oh, I better take care of my teeth. You gotta, you case, gotta be punctual,
1: that's hey, right. I'm on top of that, like, all the time. That is a, I have molar guilt now. Well, that I is a, neglecting my, it's hard to reach. It is, but you gotta do it. Gotta do yeah. it. You don't want
0: that a Junji Ito revenge. I
1: want to live a happy life. I don't want to mm-hmm. die at the hands of Corona or an angry molar that I've
0: neglected. No. Just because they're bones, they're still part of your body. You know, you gotta, you gotta be take care. they're
1: different than bones.
0: Oh, I'm getting some chats.
1: <gasps> yeah.
0: <laughs> Someone says, okay, but this is exactly why I never want to go to the dentist. <laughs> Love you. But like Obviously it's
1: a This <laughs> dentist never gave you a lollipop or a finger puppet. It's a
0: that's it's,
1: how they got me. It's a
0: it's a vicious cycle. Well, if they mm-hmm. give you a lollipop, that's that, that just keeps you coming back.
1: Right? I mean, that's the kind of relationship so I would have with the dentist. Admittedly self fulfilling,
0: but Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I had a dentist appointment until coronavirus and they cancelled my dentist appointment. Yeah. So now I that story was kinda of spooky because right now I have a bunch of pretzel goo cake yeah. stuck on my molars mm-hmm. right now. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna clean it off. So we're in quarantine. So it's gonna be like uh, living like the 1100s. All Nobody's over talking him. about all the dentists that right. are gonna be out of business after yeah. Corona.
0: I got a text message from my uh, dentist from my hometown saying, "Hey, we're not taking appointments." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> Why <did you> really? <laughs> yeah." Well, it's like, uh, well, we <laughs> yeah, notice like and appreciate, but I haven't been a member in quite some time.
1: Did you write back? I'm not taking appointments either.
0: <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Well, I wanna. I'll
1: totally go <laughs> to the dentist. Hmm. I'm <laughs> I could probably write and be yeah. like um I'm not seeing anybody right now alright
0: you folks ready for another one Let's yeah is
1: right. many, is anybody chatting a, an idea I don't know who's watching right now but hopefully somebody could write an idea I don't know if not we have oh it's uh the
0: person chatting is Lane Lane yeah that's awesome <laughs> very cool <laughs> fuck yeah Lane yeah fuck
1: yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, like
0: say hi to Nessa. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna okay. do. I'm gonna do the next one.
1: Okay. This one is I hope called. It's
0: Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Uh. Come on. What is it? This next. All right. Hold on. I gotta. <laughs> gotta get it in the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
1: can't wait. Now.
0: This next story is called My Favorite Cucumber. It's only been about a month, but it's felt like an eternity. Every time I go shopping, it feels like I'm graving some apocalyptic wilderness. I mean, yeah, sure, I always limit my shopping trips to once a week or so. (laughs) I don't want to catch the virus, nor do I want to spread it to endanger my community or the people around me, let alone the world. It's tough on all of us, and we all gotta, and Dean's just like, yeah, well, the longer we stay here, the more in danger that we are, and the more danger we put in everyone else. It's a 1% fatality rate, but I still don't want to take those chances. Sasha says, you're right, I'll hurry up and pick something. So so, so I go through the produce section, you know, perusing all the uh, wares, you know. The first wave of the pandemic there was no produce at all but now it seems very bountiful even though things like the broccoli crowns were a lot smaller than usual because there's a lot of hasty growth. I imagine all those farmers and uh agriculturalists were all like well we gotta grow this stuff and push it out people need it so a lot of the produce was a lot smaller than usual not that I'm an obsessive shopper but these are the things that I noticed so I'm going through the produce, I uh, growl about the essentials, I grab an eggplant, I grab a spaghetti swash, I grab a watermelon, and then I look at the cucumbers and I pick a few out, you know, I want to do like some sort of like hummus dish with like some cucumbers and carrots or something, a nice like quarantine uh, themed meal, I think everyone in my house would appreciate it, <laughs> and as I'm perusing through the cucumbers, I see one that looks peculiar. (laughs) I'm staring at it. And you know, no cucumber is perfect. I'm perusing all the everyone every cucumber is special in their own way, you know.
2: Unless it's like
0: rotting or whatnot. I wouldn't pick out rotting fruit at a uh, grocery store, but if you go to that place Fred Meyer, they sell rotting fruit for sure. <laughs> oh. Shop anywhere but there. That's just this <laughs> storyteller's take. Not based on any personal feelings on that place. So, me, Sasha, cruising the cucumbers. And I see one. I stare at it. It it makes me reminisce back to all those uh, architecture classes I took in college about the nature of curvature, how it appeals to the eye, and I stare at it, I compare it to the other cucumbers and I think, you know what, this is my favorite cucumber. Daniel's like, yeah, oh, I mean, uh, Dean is like, yeah, cool, cool. I think it's a good one, for sure. We definitely picked a creepin' a crop on that one. And I was like, oh, yes. This cucumber's gonna be awesome. <laughs> Me and Dean dated for about a year. We had two other housemates, uh, yellow and blue. Their parents were super into the first generation of Pokemon games. So they named them after the protagonists of those Game Boy Color games, which are red, blue, and yellow, respectively. So they were named Yellow and Blue. It was me, Sasha, Dean, and Yellow and Blue, all living together in this crazy quarantine times. Tough times on us all. So I spent the evening just screwing around on YouTube videos, seeing some ads being all like, "Oh, these are trying times. And I just thought, you sons of bitches don't know what trying times are. You just want to sell something. Thinking you can relate to people. To consumers. That's what your deal is. Sasha, me, I had a bit of whiskey, so, as I thought these thoughts watching YouTube, any philosophical thoughts I had were, a bit blurry, you know, just general rage of how corporations were reacting to the pandemic, how most people were being screwed over by it, and being concerned about the future, as anyone should be, and as how a lot of people are. And then Dean knocks on my door, I answer, and Dean's just like, hey, we're, we got dinner going and whatnot, you wanna, you wanna make that hummus and whatnot? And I'm all like, hells yeah. <laughs> So I started, uh, you know, I cut some carrots and cut some of the cucumbers I make. I started uh, stirring up the chickpea uh, mush (laughs) (laughs) to make the hummus. (laughs) However you make hummus, that's how I made it. (laughs) Boy, howdy. (laughs) And then I got to my favorite cucumber that I picked up at the store. And I thought, you know what? Not this time. This is my favorite cucumber. And I want to save it. So I make the hummus with the cucumbers and the carrots. Uh, You know, Dean makes his meal, some steak. And yellow and blue also partake. And we all just have a wonderful quarantine feast. I felt very fortunate living with the people that I did during this quarantine. We knew how to have a good time. We all knew how to make good food. It's important to... Appreciate the little things And Dean turns to me and says, oh, I'm surprised you didn't uh, use your favorite cucumber for this hummus And I said, yeah, I, I didn't, but I'm saving it And Dean's just like, alright, well when you make it, I'm going to be very excited when you do And I said, hells yeah So some days goodbye, go by and uh, you know I work from home and, uh, no, I just make some small meals for myself, some sandwiches, some soup, things around the house, things we grow in the yard. Blue and yellow also take the same stride, as with Dean. And, uh, one day Blue comes up to me and so like, Hey, uh, Sasha, there's uh, that one cucumber in the fridge, do you mind if I uh, cut it up to make a salad? And I said, No! backs away, just like, okay, geez, and Sasha's just like, sorry, it's just, I'm Sasha, and I'm just like, that's my favorite cucumber, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want, I want to save it for a special occasion, and Blue's just like, alright, I can respect that, but if you're making for a group meal, I'm very excited for it, and I said, hells yeah, so then there's one night I can't sleep, like many nights recently. I decide to snack, snack on something in the fridge. I just, uh, look around. I see some summer sausage. I chew on that. I have some cheese. I cut up some slices. And then, uh, I see the cucumber. And I'm just like, nah. I gotta save that for something special. And then I think, you know what? Why don't I just take that out of the fridge? I'll bring it into my room with me just so I can save it for something great. So I eat the summer sausage and the cheese, and I bring the cucumber to my room, leave it on my nightstand. And then I'm, uh, days, more days go by, we go through another shopping trip, I get some more spaghetti squash and, uh, melons, eggplant, and I get some cucumber. And then Dean's all like, Did you even eat that, uh, your favorite cucumber that you got last week? All the misfortune that the pandemic can throw at us, both by the virus and economically. And then one day, one night, Dean spends the night in my room. We make glorious love and all that jazz. And then he says, Hey, what's that smell? And I say, Oh, that's just my cucumber and Dean's just like, uh, looks kinda moldy. It's gone bad for quite a bit. Don't you think you wanna throw it away? Or something? And I say, Ha, ha no Dean. That's my favorite cucumber. And Dean's just like, Okay. If you say so. Another two weeks go by, and, uh, the cucumber starts to erode a bit, but still capturing the essence of when I first picked it up. All the architecture of it. It's a thing of pure beat beauty. It's more beautiful more beautiful than the Andy Warhol banana, you know? Just like the perfect piece of produce. And I wouldn't want anyone to tamper with it. A couple more weeks go by. Hear a knock on my door again. And it's Dean. Blue and yellow. And I was just like, oh, everyone's all well, we wanna are we all going for our uh weekly walks or something? Are we going to do a grocery shopping plan? What's going on? Dean looks at me very seriously. He says, Sasha, you've had that cucumber for a really long time. And I was just like, well, of course I did. It's my favorite cucumber. And Dean's like, yeah, but it's rotting and it's gross. And I'm just like, oh, but but I, I, think it's, I think it's great, though. Look, you can come meet him if you want. And Yellow says, meet him? Oh, yeah. Well, his name's Frank, actually. We started to get to know each other a little bit. You know, as the month, months went by and all that. Look. And then Sasha presented her favorite cucumber to Dean Yellow and Blue. the cucumber had a face painted on it, and a little wig, and some clothes, It was an invented character, and Sasha's just been uh, like, uh, me and Frank talk about the quarantine quite a bit, we give it a couple weeks tops, you know, we talk about television, we talk about Better Call Saul, and all that stuff, and Dean's just, gives me a cold look, and he says, Sasha, we're going to throw away that cucumber. And I say, what? You're obsessing over it. You've based your whole life over it. And Saucer's just like, no, that's, no, it's, me and Frank, we go way back. We've, you know, it's just like, I've been waiting my whole life to meet Frank, you know? Frank is my favorite cucumber. And he's just like, all right, blue, yellow, just hold her down. I got I gotta do it. Blue and yellow grab me by the arms, and it's like, Dean, what are you doing? Dean grabs the cucumbers. It's like, I'm throwing Frank, the cucumber, away. It's mode and you're obsessed with it. I know we're all hitting hard times, but it's getting a bit weird now, you know? And it's just like, just, and I'm just like, no! You don't understand! Frank has a life! Frank has children! Frank has been alive for a hundred years, you don't understand! You don't know what Frank has seen. He's lived through the Spanish flu. He can help us through all these trying times, and just Dean's just like, ah, I gotta, I'm tossing this. And I say, no. I wrangle myself from blue and yellow, and I grab Frank, and we both flee together. We leave the house. We run down the street, not looking back. I run for about two hours. I'm an experienced jogger, I can have that endurance. And then suddenly me and Frank are by a park and we're sitting on a swing together and I'm speaking to Frank. And I'm just like, Frank, Dean, Blue, and Yellow are wrong about you. I know who you really are. And Frank remains silent like he always does, you know. He's not much of a talker, but I know he has a soul underneath that, uh, rotting cucumber skin. And Sasha's me is just like, yeah, that's right Frank. We don't need them. We just need each other. So I I kiss Frank and we make out before
1: the show started, so Sure, sure. I was like, wow, I'm super original, or just processing work stuff where I listen to my favorite murder all Aww. night. Yeah.
0: There was my yeah my favorite molar, and my favorite cucumber, but just like with all the context you can bring to cucumbers like and having it in your favorite, it's like there was a there was a depth there I, for I sure. I like
1: Checked out for a minute because all of a sudden I felt like somebody this narrator was talking to the cucumber skin person and I was like what mm-hmm. happened? I thought there
0: was just a regular cucumber that somebody
1: didn't want to throw it away. It was it was a growing obsession. I know Obviously. Mm -hmm. I was like, what happened to the cucumber? The cucumber's name is Frank.
0: Yeah. And uh, Sasha and Frank left into the sunset together. (laughs) They were in love. Frank was rotting, but Sasha didn't care.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> At least That's why all of a sudden I was like, yeah. this story took a turn. It and
0: got like, weird really quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't expect, you can't just... As things do. You yeah. can't expect a story called My Favorite Cucumber and then have it <laughs> not be weird.
1: That's right. I guess
0: not. No. <laughs> like, it can't be all vanilla, because then it would be my favorite <laughs> It vanilla. can't be all
1: vanilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why not? for a vanilla cucumber story because then it would be my favorite vanilla bean -hmm. I mean it's that would be a totally
0: different story
1: talking about this
0: well when I when I read the title uh, my favorite cucumber I was just like let's see how weird this gets there's no road for it not being weird
1: I like produce so that's a good story yeah (laughs) yeah
0: All right, I'm gonna, Do you know I'm gonna get another serving of juice, and I'm gonna read maybe it's not one, you know one, just a serving of juice, because this is YouTube, and I wouldn't uh, reveal based on their content management things. I think you
1: can say you're drinking.
0: I, I'm not. No. I'm drinking. Whatever. <laughs> first, first stream. If this, if this grows, I if thought this, you
1: were uh, really into YouTube.
0: If no, I I don't. This is my you first. Be doing all this those on this YouTube. is my first stream ever. I don't know all the content regulations. Oh okay. I couldn't monetize this if I wanted to. You know, you
1: could probably have just said it's juice and just put whiskey in there.
0: That's what I was trying to do, but you were like, no. Oh, I don't <laughs> so that's that well, was. That'll
1: learn you. <laughs> It's juice from the whiskey fruit. So we're taking a juice intermission.
0: Like two minutes, you know. All right,
1: two minutes.
0: Two minute juice, two intermission. Minute juice okay. intermission. Okay. Getting a lot of positive emojis. Yeah. Oh, you got some positive emojis yeah. Right
1: there? Yeah. Was it about the cucumber?
0: I, I would assume <laughs> so. I think that's when they queued in. <laughs> I'm never gonna look at cucumbers the same way again. Yeah, so I ruined <laughs> strawberries ruined, and cucumbers.
1: You ruined my diet with your scary stories about cucumbers. <laughs> It's my fault because I gave you those suggestions. Yeah, yeah that's all you. <laughs>
0: if you wanna find the inner fear, no, is, I had it
1: coming.
0: I think they're great. All right.
1: <laughs> all right.
0: Let's get a Cadence title in there yeah, oh, yeah that's yeah. That I would like to see a cadence title.
1: You'll know because you're be able to read the title better.
0: <laughs> yeah that's probably true. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna get started again. Okay. <laughs> There's like a theme song to it now and it makes me very <laughs> excited. After our uh, two-ish minute intermission, (laughs) it's it's time for another story, so I'm gonna pull it from the hat, (laughs) see what fate delivers. I, I I can't decide that, yes, but no, I I can't look at them and see them at the same time. I have one in my hand. This is what I'm gonna do. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> this next story is called Tragedy on Sixty Fourth Street. <laughs> could take when they had to wait for a 130 bus at 64th Street Station. I didn't go to, I didn't go into the city very often, but I, when I did, it was often for a concert of some sort. And often those concerts ran very late. Usually if I was in the city, hanging out with friends, you know, just, or having a day trip there, I'd always manage to take the regional rail back to my hometown, which was only a 20-minute drive from the city, and a 40-minute train ride. But if I waited too long, then the regional rails closed, and I had to take a bus. I didn't have any trouble taking a bus from Philly late at night. I've personally never been in any danger from it. So some people I know other people that have had trouble from it. But I've always, you know, I've always been lucky and I never sensed a very striking fear from it. I always think it thought of it as usual, just like uh another commute. So after I saw the uh, Alice Alice and Chains Alice and Chains show at the Tower Theater. I had to wait at 64th Street Station. Tower Theater is very close to that station. and The next bus didn't come until 1.30. And it was 12.50 right now, and the show ended at 11.30. Alice and Chains did an encore with Looster and Wood but Lane Staley wasn't the singer of the band anymore. And it wasn't quite the same. <laughs> but the newer singer sounded similar enough for me to enjoy the show. And plus, uh, Jerry Cantrell, that guy, the guy, I respect him as a musician. It was nice to see him before. There was one moment when he was, uh, between songs, he had a joint lit. And he said, I don't smoke no fucking weed. And he just took a hit and lit up in front of everyone. And I thought, wow, so edgy. It was really inspiring at the time. This was back when I was 16. That was 10 years ago. And I'll never forget that night. Not because of the really cool Alice in Chains show that I saw. Every where the sample size of the audience was regular guy, regular guy, regular guy, regular guy, grunge guy. Where the grunge guy was one in every four audience members. And I was just like, yeah, it was a great show. But what happened after was what has it stick in my memory until today. So at 64th Street Station, I waited for the next bus. I had 40 minutes to kill. I didn't know what to do. But a lot of the station shops were closed. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, quick pick-me-up kind of things. Uh, maybe some mall-esque shops. I've never been there during the daytime, so I was never in that area of Philly during the daytime. But it was only when I had to wait at 64th Street Station. For the next bust. Next bus to my town. So I uh, just, you know, paced back and forth. Saw other people with, you know, backpacks also making long commutes. We were in it together, you know? So I was just waiting. Me and my friend Jefferson we were just like, went to the show together and it's just like a oh, crazy show right he said and I was just like oh hell yeah I think you know even if Flayne wasn't fronting Alice and Chains I was still really stoked to see them he was just like yeah it was pretty great definitely uh, remarkable in that way never thought I'd see them live and I was like no me neither I even got it we even got matching t-shirts for the show they had the tour dates on the back and the album cover on the front. And it was just like, yeah, we experienced this, for sure. And we have evidence. But we still had the 40 minutes to Sorry. We still had 40 minutes to kill. Wondering what we could do with that time. So my friend Jefferson says, Hey, there's a... Chicken place across the street we can go to. Maybe we get like some food there, maybe a snack or a meal there. If anything, it can help us kill time. It was called Crown Chicken, a chicken chain known in the uh, Mid-Atlantic region. Can be found in areas of uh, Philadelphia, outside Philadelphia, and New York. But what they're known for is just having every iteration of fast food chicken. They had fried chicken, chicken sandwiches, chicken nuggets. Nothing they didn't have in the chicken variety. So I was just like, oh, that sounds really great. I could really go for some chicken, go for some chicken, for sure. So we crossed the street, feeling edgy for not looking both ways because there are no cars driving by. And I was just like, that was my way of staring death in the face not looking both both ways before crossing the street. Something I was taught when I was a child and all throughout my life. But at the cusping age of seventeen I was like, no. I'm not gonna look both ways. I'm just gonna gun for it. So then we did gun for it. My friend Jefferson still jogged across the street. You know, it was always paranoid of getting hit by cars ever since, you know, we got hit by a car. So, we, we made it to Crown Chicken. And, uh, we ordered some, uh, chicken variety things. I thought of something what would be good on the go. And I thought a chicken sandwich would be great. My friend Jefferson ordered some chicken nuggets. And, uh... I knew what it was like to work a graveyard shif- shift, so I gave a tip to the uh, person running the sand. There's only two people there. Even though, you know, I think, I personally think fast food workers should have tip jars of some sort. Most of them don't, which is kind of perverse because fast food is very difficult. You know, for a plethora of reasons. Considering they're so underpaid, they should get more credit because, you know. If you ever get a McDonald's Big Mac, you should consider where you get it from and uh, the implications of what brought you that burger, and you know, tips are important, you know, if bartenders and waiters can get tips, why not fast food workers? That was my philosophy. So despite there not being a tip jar, I gave a tip of $5 because I, I could tell he needed it. I've had a job like that before, but enough of that. So we ate the chicken in the store, and it was damn fine chicken. Crown chicken has superb chicken. If you ever walk by a crown chicken, you should pop on in, because you you will not be disappointed. Yeah, the chicken was good, but when we got back to the uh, bus stop, we still had 20 minutes to go. So I I said out loud, uh, what are we going to do for 20 minutes, and again, this was before the time of smartphones being readily available, so it's not like we could fuck around on our phones on Twitter or whatever, or YouTube, or anything like that. So my friend Jefferson says, oh, I got a, you know, I bought something from a patron at the Alice in Chains concert. And I say, oh yeah? So I pulls it out, and it looks like one of those, uh, fortune teller paper things, you know, where you kinda say a number or a color, and it moves a certain direction, and you pick something, and then it reveals your fortune,
1: similar to that,
0: but a little different, some different iteration of origami and a lot of different symbols of it that I didn't reference, that I didn't recognize. And he said yeah The guy who sold this to me Was uh He's a self alleged satanist And he said These things do tell fortunes In the same way that uh, they do in middle school Those little Folding things I don't know what they're called If anyone from the audience can chime out what they're called That'd be great But I don't remember Fortune tell
1: t- I kind of self identified Processing
0: that Okay, sure But whatever These things are called (laughs) It was one of those But had all the Satanist symbols on it Which, you know The prospect of Satanism is Up for debate But like Anton LaVey type of Satanism Let's say Or at least that's what Jefferson told me And I was just like, alright, I'll play this game And he was like, all right, pick a color. And then I said magenta, and he said, "Uh, pick a different color, it's only one (laughs) of four. And I was just like, all right, not a great start, you know, if it's a fortune teller, it should be any color, you know, but let's say orange. And he's like, ah, there's an orange one. So he moves it a couple of times. And then uh, he says, pick a number. And I say, "Uh, 16. And he says, you gotta pick one, three, four. And I was like, you shoulda said that beforehand. he's like, sorry, I just bought this. I don't know the mechanisms of it yet. And I was like, fine, okay, four.
1: So he goes, one,
0: two, three, four. And then he unfolds it. And he tells me my fortune. And it says, you will die tonight. And I say, that's awfully strange. What an odd occurrence at 64th Street. I mean, you know, fans of Alice in Chains don't really strike me as Satan, don't really strike me as uh, occultist Satanists or anyone that knows of any mysterious occult forces to uh, bring doom on the upon someone. So I say that's ridiculous. There's no way I'm gonna die tonight and Jefferson trying to screw with me says I don't know looks pretty legitimate it might happen and I say you know what I'm gonna put a specific amount of effort to not die tonight and he says okay fine I'll take your word for it and while we have this discussion the bus arrives and we board it we go on the uh the trail to our hometown riding the bus not a lot of uh not like the uh not like places in portland or new york city where you see a lot of places lit up as i looked out the window i just saw signs over and over wawa royal farms wawa royal farms over and over and it's just like yeah sounds like a glittered iteration of where i came from so then the bus on he and he's Jefferson, still on the bus, says alright have a good night, walk safe, and I says I will. So it's only a ten minute walk to my house, what could go wrong? I think about 30, 64th Street Station, all the memories I've had there. So I walk down the street, I walk by uh... I walk by a model replica of the Liberty Bell, not thinking much of it, not really thinking that the Liberty Bell uh, had much significance historically. I mean, I think it's neat that it's an old bell, but not quite my cup of tea. So I just keep walking, and then I feel darkness walk beside me. Suddenly, I see a person appear out of nowhere. I don't recognize him. He doesn't look uh, suspicious or anything, but then he says to me, Quickly, grab my hand. And not really thinking about it, I do. And we shake hands. And then suddenly, once again, I'm back at 64th Street Station. And then my friend, and uh, I'm with Jefferson, and he turns to me and he says, we should find a way to kill time. And I'm just like, wait a minute, what's going on? I look at my phone and it's 12.50. I don't understand what happened. I'm at 64th Street Station again. And I'm just like, this is bizarre. So I was just like, alright, maybe I got home already and this is just a dream. So we go to Ground Chicken, we get our chicken. My friend Jefferson tells me my fortune. I go on the bus again, and then I'm on the walk home back to my house. And then halfway through the walk, I'm back at 64th Street Station. And I'm just like, no, this is impossible. The same iteration happens again. We go to Crown Chicken, he tells me my fortune. The bus arrives. But as soon as I get on the bus, I'm back at 64th Street Station at 12.50, I think no, this is impossible, and then I grab Jefferson, Jefferson, have you seen the movie Groundhog Day? And he's like, no, and I'm just like, shit, okay, well, I'm trapped in a time loop at 64th Street Station. As much as I romanticize taking that commute from Street station to my hometown. I'm tracking this time loop and it's awful. And Jefferson's like, uh That's pretty awful. Well I know a way to break that time loop. I have a I brought a I bought a fortune telling thing from a Satanist at that Alice in Chains show. Maybe that can help you. I was like, god damn it, fine, I'll do that fortune again. If I can break out of this time loop in any way that I can, I'll, I will do that. So he uh, tells me my fortune, and it says 64th Street Station is forever. And I was just like, no, I gotta sit and think about this. So I go to a nearby bench and sit and think. Then I look up, Jefferson's gone, it's a new night. When we saw Alice at Chains it was summer, but now it was winter. Much colder. And a different crowd waiting for buses. And I was just like, wait, 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 what's going on? So I try to leave the station, and I walk four blocks. Suddenly I'm back at that bench. And I'm just like, no at 64th street station again. And eventually I go to someone manning 64th street station, one of the train operators that moderates the uh, schedule, and I say, "Hey, I'm perpetually trapped here in a time loop. Can you help me?" And he's just like, "Uh just I don't know, just go sit down somewhere, I guess. Welcome to the club." And I'm just like, "The club?" Is everyone trapped at 64th Street Station?" And he says, well, not everyone, but, like, if you're... If you somehow get caught in a time loop here, then you're stuck here for eternity. And I'm just like... No, that's impossible. So what feels like an eternity, I keep sprinting past 64th Street Station, three or four blocks, but whenever I get that far, I'm always back here somewhere at 64th Street Station. So I decided to keep a diary of 64th Street Station, about my times there, about the repeated events I experience, about the new ones I do, but the fact that I can never leave and I'm just a stranger there to everyone's eyes. But whenever I write the diary, whenever I open it to check it, it's always blank. So I think, well... I suppose this is what eternity feels like. <sighs> <laughs> that was wonderful. Mm-hmm.
1: Thinking about the cucumber. Yep. Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me
0: too. Mhm. Yeah. Right. I'm getting, uh, getting a little bit tired Girl, here. Oh no. I know. Maybe one more story. Okay. I think I can do. All right. How's how's the burger?
1: That's delicious. I'm sorry for all the noise. I don't know what happened. Yeah. It just got really loud in the kitchen.
0: I tried to think of, uh, incorporating into the show somehow. Well, like the way, I guess the, uh... You just call
1: me, I'll be like, my drunken high partner is in the background.
0: Well, no, I was, I was thinking, uh, I guess, like, the one night, I guess, uh, when we were doing this, when it wasn't being streamed, you dropped your phone, and I was just like, ah. And I picked a non-stream, non-phone day today. You know, just No, my... your
1: character started making fun of me. Yeah, that's Since, um... but that's something
0: you want from like a live show, no. you know. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't think of anything. I just could, I could it's just my, like stare. All
1: of my insecurities. That's what being a comedian is for. <laughs> I think
0: that's part of it for sure. <laughs> all right, I got one more story in me. Might be a shorter one. Okay. Might be a longer one. Oh, no. Oh no, I think.
1: I'm just making noises. Okay. Ooh.
0: Make whatever noises that you would like. I do.
1: That's hmm. what I'm known
0: for. Alright, this is the final story of the evening. Okay. I have. Drank quite a bit of juice. <laughs> Needless to say, it has affected you my piano playing. I think
1: it means that you shouldn't play it's... much, should just play a little, you know? You don't need yeah. to be a hero about it.
0: I mean, I'm not doing like Mozart here, you know? But I'm. I swear there was a nocturne you played last time you shirt. Really? Oh. It was, I, I swear to you, all the piano that I've been playing has just been an ambient Mary oh, Had a Little Lamb. no. We can tell. I know you can tell. You both studied <laughs> opera. You know, I, I'm aware. I aware. I studied a bit of music theory. I know exactly what I'm doing. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
1: Okay. I don't think it takes an opera major to know that you might be new to piano.
0: Yes. <laughs> but if it's just me talking, then it's just like the... The piano just like melts in the distance. (laughs) Melts in the distance. Alright. So, this is the final story for the evening. And this story is called. Cadence title. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I, think uh, the one. I need a... I'm very excited for this one. <laughs> Yay. I'm excited too. Mm-hmm. This feels like a Cadence one, but let's find out.
1: folded in fourths, yes.
0: All right. Uh, this next story is called... Time travel for dummies. <laughs> 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 Is there a knitting recipe in this one? <laughs> Let's find out. Okay. Now, the most difficult thing about... Time travel is connecting your quantum carburetor to the auxiliary wires and to the flux capacitor. It is not it is not an easy feat to do, very daunting for many people. But if you find the red and white plug, you plug in the red one first and you test it out. That's how you test the Power of the time travel machine, and then you test out the white one, and that's how you gauge which years you can go through. And then Jennifer shouts, Stop reading time travel for dummies. I am sick of it. Everyone knows how to time travel, it's easy. I don't need the voice of a technical writer to show it. Baba. Hesitantly closed his copy of Time Travel for Dummies and set it on the table.
2: Really upset
0: that his partner didn't appreciate it. He said, Well, not everyone knows how to time travel. I think I appreciate the language of communicating time travel in such a convenient way. And she said, Well, it's awful. Knock it off. And Bob says, Fine. So eventually Bob just likes sits with his copy of Time Travel for Dummies. He bought it at PALS. He was very excited about it. He thought it was exciting that in the year 2112 that for Dummies books about time travel could be written. He was personally intrigued by the chapter of Time Travel about how every time you travel back in time, you create an alternate timeline. That's why, uh, Beatles shows from 1961 doesn't get overpacked by time travelers. Tommy's front to back, more so than anyone. He wasn't dissuaded by how most of this information is common knowledge in 2112. He's just like, yeah, maybe slow to the curve in time travel. Everyone might might know more than I do about it, but you know what? I'm into it. He really focused on the chapter about uh, how to build your own time travel machine. Time machine, you know, as they called it. Because every time they visited Woodstock, it was his own alternate timeline that derived from it. And he thought, you know what? With my time machine, I want to do something really cool. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go visit the author of Time Travel for Dummies and ask him how he described time travel to such a concise and simplistic method for dummies like me to pick up on it. Bob nodded at himself at his... Conclusions like, yeah, I'm gonna do that. So he builds his time machine, you know, it's a bit scrappy, it looks like a bunch of garbage taped together, but you know what? It still works as far as he knew. He's never tested it, but the only way to test it is to try it, as they say. So Bob stepped into the time machine, pressed a lever, and then it activated, and then he appeared into the uh. Time Traveler's Office, the author of Time Traveling for Dummies. The way he just got described time travel was you can only travel as far back as time as when someone built a machine. For example, if someone builds a builds a machine in 2050, you can only far you can only appear in that machine that far back. So Bob appears in that machine. And the author of uh Time travel for dummies named Steve says, "Oh, Bob! Oh, oh uh, Who are you? What are you doing here?" And Bob was just like, "Wait, you you know my name?" And then Steve was like, "Alright, you caught me." There have been several Bobs that appeared here, all asking me about time travel, and I just told. And I got so bombarded by all the Bobs that I'd visited, and I just said, "All right, just." I'm just gonna write a book called time travel for dummies, and then all the bobs Of the feature can read it and they can stop bugging me But apparently I see that copy of time travel for dummies underneath your arm You of all the bobs of all the alternate universes. You're the one that apparently didn't get the message Bob got really upset It's like no Is it possible that I'm the stupidest Bob in all the multiverse? (laughs) (laughs) And Steve is just like, well, according to my theory in chapter three, you are. And Bob just says, oh fuck, well, Steve, what am I going to do? If I'm the stupidest Bob, then what else can I live for in this wretched multiverse? Steve says, well, if you want to, you can try to alter history, so you're not the stupidest, Bob. Again, these are alternate timelines that only affect you, but if it makes you feel better, then whatever. Bob says, alright, I think I'll try that. But the time machine I use only works for time machines that have existed previously, so I can't travel back further than 2050 when you've built the machine. And Steve says, well, that's not true. Even though I described that in chapter three, if you read chapter four, it says, if you set this one certain setting, you can travel back whenever. And Bob was just like, oh, right, of course. And Steve was like, yeah. I mean, I wrote the book for a reason. Like, fucking read it. For love of Christ. We don't want a bunch of people just like fucking around different timelines. It's like, let's aim for some, a little bit of precision, at least. And Bob's just like, yeah, sure. Bob sat back in the Time Machine, thinking about all those movies about time machines, including The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, the older one and the newer one and how they were both metaphors for classism, and he was just like, I just want to fuck around with time, you know? He was contemplating how he was listening to Chuck Berry, and all, <laughs> all that other shit. <laughs> Even though he was in San Francisco, a lot of people were from New Jersey for some reason. I guess they needed a place to belong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... He traversed through, uh, North Beach. Trying to find answers, like all these other beatniks. And across the street, he sees none other than, uh, Allen Ginsberg. And then he screams out, GINSBURG! GINSBURG! And he's just like, oh, yeah, that's me? Now keep in mind, this was a version of Allen Ginsberg, the acclaimed poet, before he wrote Howl. So Ginsburg has no idea why some stranger would approach him on the street, let alone talking about time travel. It's Ginsburg. Gins Gin. It's either Ginsburg or Ginsburg. Bob says Ginsburg. And
1: here it's Ginsburg.
0: Like Yogi. Alan Ginsburg <laughs> notices a stranger on the street. <laughs> Call him Alan Ginsburg. And he doesn't have the heart to correct him. (laughs) So he just hears out the stranger to see what he wants. (laughs) And Bob says, Alan. And Alan's like, okay.
1: And Bob's just like, you were
0: a big influence on me. And Alan's like, oh, that's... I didn't do anything yet, but cool. I guess you're a time traveler, because I think I'm pretty... my ego's pretty high, surely I'm a vast influence on society, at least in America, already. And Bob was like, hells yeah. But you're an influence on me particularly. But I need you to write poetry to make me less stupid. Because it's inevitable that I'll find your poetry. But if you can give me some advice about how not to be dumb, that'll be awesome. Ginsburg struffles his chin without a beard, because he didn't grow a beard yet, and he also didn't go bald yet. And Jensburg was like, well, you know, I'm about to write this piece called How. What you gotta do is write a lot of specific technical writing. Like, if someone was really high listening to it, they'd be really uncomfortable. Think it has to be very precise and very direct. No poetics or anything like that Ginsburg's was like, alright, I'll give it a try. I mean, you're no voice of William Blake, but I'll listen. So Bob's just like, great. So Bob goes back to the future. Which is his present, 2112. Steps out of the time machine, and he tries to see what has changed. He looks around. Some nuances nuances are different here and there. Kind of... The slight uh, butterfly, butterfly effect of things that have occurred are so vast that Bob couldn't possibly trace why things were different to his influence on Allen Ginsberg, giving him a book of technical writing from the future. So Bob's just looking around. It's like a different society, you know? More advanced in some ways, also less advanced. But Bob then opens a book of Allen Ginsberg poetry, and he finds an entry to, uh, right after the time when he intercepted him, and he reads the Allen Ginsberg poem about, and it's just called Bob. And Bob thinks, oh, that must be about me. So Bob reads it, and it says, Hey, Bob, fuck you. I read that book for dummies. It's a bunch of drivel. Even in a timeline when time travel is plausible. It's still really dumb. Surely people who know about time travel know that this book is garbage. I think you're really dumb. don't ever time travel again. And Bob reads the entry and he's just like, fuck, I don't know what to do about this. If I try to alter the timeline for me to be less dumb, I'm just gonna, it's just gonna be people shitting on me for being dumb. But me having to discover that as an entry of history. Bob just sits down he sits quietly and he just thinks, maybe I am a dummy. Very nice.
1: Still thinking about the cucumber.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's I got a lot
1: for for Bob to come to terms with his own dummy dummyhood, but uh... I'm sad nobody got murdered. Yeah,
0: it was yeah. That one wasn't quite a horror story. That was more of a science fiction end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know,
1: coming to terms with one's own inadequacy. Wait,
0: Without... that's yeah. It's like a, it's like a horror story of truth. It's like nineteen eighty four. Yeah. It's just like the truth is real, real, and that's and horrifying enough. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I'll add a little epilogue, just just oh for my you. God. All right. Bob accepted that he was a dummy, because he picked up a book called Time Travel for Dummies. He traveled back in the past, tried to convince Allen Ginsberg to educate his younger self to not be a dummy. Ginsberg did not abide and just perpetuated his dummyhood and tried to make him feel bad about it. That made Bob feel worse. So he sat quietly. And suddenly a stranger approaches him. And he says, Hey, is your name Bob? And Bob says, Yeah, because he's a dummy. Could be someone trying to sue him or whatever, you know? If so the stranger says, Hey, I know your name, and you just be like, oh, I don't know you, you know? it seems logical. So the stranger says, I'm a. Big fan of Allen Ginsberg. And Bob says, oh yeah? Secretly knowing that the name is actually pronounced Yinsberg, but he didn't bother to correct him. And the stranger says, yeah. And since I know who you are, I know you're the Bob that traveled back in time to influence Allen Ginsberg and his, po- his poetry. And he thought you were an asshole and wrote a bad poem about you. So I've come to kill you. I'm also a fan of the Doors in the song, The End. So I like to creep along people obviously and be like, I've come to kill you and all that. And Bob's just like, "Well, that's a bit silly. And the stranger says I doesn't care. So he pulls out his phaser and blasts Bob. And Bob dies. The End. <laughs> Is that enough murder and spook <laughs> for you? What a dumbass. It's all right. One person
1: died, that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) One oh one murder.
0: I mean it's I accept. It was it was a sci-fi themed title, so I rolled with it. You did. You You rolled. I thought it was a good story. Yeah. Had some historical basis on my interest
1: got peaked for their murder, so
0: (laughs) Okay, cool.
1: (laughs) I appreciated the uh travel. Or Ginsburg. Ginsburg. You
0: know. Many. It could be Gins, Gins, or Gins. You know, could be any of them. Yeah. But Bob knows the truth, and yet he's a dummy, so no one is going to take him seriously. No. Nope. I'm going to cut the feed here. Okay. But I hope whoever's viewing this, whether it was live or pre-recorded, <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. Maybe the next Tuesday from the next Tuesday, it's April Saturday. Eight, I know it is. <laughs> But I want to, I wanna, I wanna like, do, like, weekly Tuesday things with this and, like, let this grow oh, a bit. Okay. I think that will be great. Saturday? Not on Saturday? Then
1: I mean, why do you tease this with a Saturday? And it then
0: it's you a pilot like to episode. It? Oh. It's a pilot-ish. Yeah. I mean, like, Tuesday, Saturday, I was like, I just wanted to get to it, you know? Yeah. Sure. So it's a fun show to do. Yeah. yeah. It's entertaining. Yeah. But, uh. Channel
1: planes come miles in two times. What was that? Your piano playing has come miles in two times.
0: Yeah, it's just this uh ambient "Mary Had a Little La Lamb" great. <laughs> so tune in on April twenty-first, and maybe we'll have something. Follow me on Twitter; uh, I'll post updates there. Uh, good night, everyone.